0: this is a hot pie media original
1: the heart tells you what you care about the hands are like the working hard piece and then I think your head is the strategic piece of saying in, like am I the right person to kind of show up and, and impact this thing you know just because I care about it and I'm willing to work hard like I might Really care about an app, and I want to work really hard. But I've never built an app, so I'm not—I don't have the skill set around that. So caring is not enough, and working hard is not enough. You've got to, the strategic part is putting the pieces together to read the tea leaves to be like, given who I am, given my my talents, here's how I can be most effective.
0: Hi, I'm Eric Corum and this is the Blueprint. I've spent my life helping Olympic gold medalists, NFL, and NCAA athletes be the best at their craft. Now I'm taking that experience and translating it into your life. This podcast is for busy professionals and household CEOs who care deeply about their family, career, and their health. There's an ocean of content to wade through, but I do the heavy lifting for you and distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your lifestyle and goals. Todd Connor is an evangelist for an American renewal of entrepreneurship. Todd is the founder of Bunker Labs, a national entrepreneurship organization that works with military veterans and military spouses who want to start their own business. In this episode, Todd and I discuss his book, Third Shift Entrepreneur, and the simple tactics anyone can implement to build their dream job while keeping their day job. Towards the end of our discussion, Todd delivers some incredible insights on courage, empathy, and humility. And this is a fantastic podcast for anyone with an idea they want to turn into a business. His playbook is phenomenal. But before we get to my interview with Todd, in 2020, I left over a 15-year career in the NFL and NCAA sports to start a company called AIM7. I wanted to use my expertise in wearable technology to move past unscientific recommendations like walking 10,000 steps a day and deliver real solutions to help people improve their health and well-being aim seven is an app that uses health data from wearable devices like the Apple watch and Oura ring to create small scientific personalized recommendations to help you sleep better, increase your energy, reduce your stress or lose weight. If you're a busy person that needs a simple solution for your health and wellness, then aim seven is for you. And it's free. If you're ready to finally unlock the power of your wearable data, then go to AIM7.com. That's A-I-M-7.com to get early and free access to our exclusive program. AIM7 starts small, starts with you. Your health data, your values to get to your thriving life. But now it's time to lean in and learn from the best.
1: Well, Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Eric. It's so good to see you. It's so good to be with your audience. You're amazing, amazing and talented uh, listeners and viewers.
0: Well, I'm really excited to dig into this book that you wrote. And you are a self-proclaimed evangelist for an American renewal of entrepreneurship. Why, in your opinion, has the spirit of entrepreneurship kind of faded?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, it's important just to note, uh, because a lot of folks don't know this, that rates of entrepreneurship in this country are down. Mm. uh, And they've been on sort of a 50-year decline. Um, And so that is a sustained and and very problematic trend in this country. Um, That is often shocking to people. It's surprising to people. It is to me. Yeah. And it is to a lot of people um, because we have such a celebrity culture around entrepreneurship. Mm. We have shows like Shark Tank. We have um, you know, restaurant makeovers. We have a, a lot of, um, uh, kind of hero worship around like Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. We have a former president who ran a, sh- a reality show called the apprentice and it was about <laughs> business ownership. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah. So it's never been cooler in American culture. Um, it's never been more celebrated. Uh, it's also never been more studied. We have, you know, formal courses of study. Uh, entrepreneurship is now the number one Uh, uh, course of study at many major and prestigious MBA programs. And so all that is happening. And yet, if you look at the raw data of new business formation, it's down in this country. Um, Interestingly, the most entrepreneurial generation amongst us is those 55 and older who have been starting businesses for some time now and are are getting better at it the more they do it. It's their second, third, fourth business. So the trend, the, the data suggests that this is a problem. And it's a societal problem because new businesses and new business creation is the source of um, you know, net new jobs in this country, right? So it's really important that we have a lot of people starting businesses, not just in Silicon Valley, not just technology-enabled businesses, but in communities across America. And so I wanted to tell a story that both says, hey, this is a problem, and people don't necessarily recognize that. And um, there's ways that you can start businesses and be successful without having to go raise a bunch of money from a venture capitalist or um, participate in some kind of, um, I don't know, circuit that feels very foreign to you that you don't feel invited into that in fact, Mm. you can be an entrepreneur, if you have a problem that you're committed to solving. And um, and if you have a kind of a playbook for how to move forward.
0: And your book provides a a great playbook for that the third shift entrepreneur um which i found was a fascinating read i love i got we talked about off air i love the way you wrote it um some people love to learn through story some people love to learn through just the facts and i was able to the way you set it up was i thought was brilliant but why do you think we have this problem. Like what has happened in the past 50 years that's led us to this position? Is it because we have these huge corporations now where it's easier to just go in and get a job and then kind of just stay there?
1: What's your thoughts on this? It's a great question. And I'll get a little meta and just pull, pull me back if you think I'm, I'm off track. But um, let me first tell you what I don't think it is. Okay, um, I, I don't think it's a question of ambition. I don't think it's a question of um, skills. I don't think it's a question of training. Um, I don't think it's a failure of people having good ideas. Um, uh, And I don't actually think it's a lack of capital, but the capital isn't being deployed in ways that feel democratized. Here's what I think is the fundamental difference. If you look at a country like Israel, and uh, Israel is a different country for lots of reasons, but they have mandatory military service and they have as a function of that, forget the fact that it's military, that's actually not relevant, but they have a shared national experience that by virtue of the fact that they have a shared national experience, there's a very strong, you could almost call it like an alumni effect, an alumni network that's national in nature hmm. and, and Israel as a result of their strong national identity, which is also there's a religious context that, the military context, but they have a huge uh, entrepreneurial kind of activity um, uh, uh, set of activities that happens as a country as a result. And I really think if you compare that to the United States after World War II, we talk about the Greatest Generation. There was a huge entrepreneurial boom after World War II. Forty-nine percent of World War II veterans came back and started businesses. And again, there's a lot that goes into these stories, but I think that there a human there was a human fabric that was created by virtue of the fact that everyone was, was in the military or had some direct connection to military service. And um, it'd be like if, if everyone in this country went to the same college, mm-hmm. you know, like reaching out to a fellow alumni of a, of a university, even though we didn't go to school together, even though we were different years, even though I didn't know you, even if we didn't have mutual friends, we would have a reflection of like, oh yeah, we both spent time in that thing together, at that place together. And Israel has that social currency. So that's my argument: is that it's social currency. Mm-hmm. They have that social currency, that social fluidity that allows for kind of network navigation, um, where the first question in Israel is not where did you go to college, or even what's your business, but where did you serve. And I think that that social density created through shared experience allows for enormously productive social fluidity, um, which is good for lots of things, including how to find talent, including how to find investors, including how to get a job. But, but I think that all undergirds the entrepreneurial economy as well. And this country had a taste of that after world war II. And I think it's just different. The context for lots of reasons is different now. Um, so if you ask me, how do you solve this? Um, I think the answer is create more social connectivity, create more social mobility, create shared experiences um, that can be reference points for people trying to get places or get introduced um, to get things done. The dirty little secret on Silicon Valley is, is, is not that they have some special sauce around training. It's not that their programs are designed better. Why Combinator, which is the prestigious incubator, is a weekly dinner. It's a weekly dinner. It's entirely predicated on social capital. It's Mm -hmm. simply, if we pick your business, we'll introduce you to the right people. And I don't say that disparagingly, but I say that just as a matter of fact, Um, you could probably make the argument about some elite universities. Yes, they teach you things, but it's all, but like you're already a made person by the time you walk in the door, because you're going to have access to the network that can ultimately surround you to help get you to where you need to go. And so um, if we could unlock that and democratize access we would have a lot more people starting businesses and and raising money and doing the things that they need to be successful. I think we can, last thing I'd say, I think we can solve for this in small ways. Like people, I I talk to communities and elected officials and lots of folks about how to help entrepreneurs. That's the question. Mm -hmm. And my thing is make sure that you've got a socially connected town, make sure you've got a socially connected community, make sure that the entrepreneur who may not look like you, who's got an idea Knows how it can be one phone call away from all the people that are needed and all the organizations that are needed to help bring that business to life, fully mature, fully exit. If it's more than three phone calls away, it's not going to happen. So, how do you reduce the number of phone calls away? So, this social currency, I think, Eric, is just, you know, is hugely important and I'm not talked about enough. I'm
0: thinking through my mind right now because I'm a new entrepreneur as of like 2020. And You know, when I started going to look for capital, none of the capital I've raised has been from VCs. And it's been so hard to reach that group. And, you know, a lot of that was located in Silicon Valley. And so there's like you have to move to Silicon Valley and then you get connected because part of the reason people can have access to those people because of geographical location. So I'm just thinking through this in my own mind, but now things are getting blown up. And it's, it's starting to become more democratized. Like there's more investments going into the South or in the Midwest. And you're seeing these groups that are like, Hey, we're serving people in our area and we're trying to give more people access. And then I think about like even our um, connection through presidential leadership scholars, we weren't in the same cohort, right. but I knew that I could reach out to you when I had a question about a developer. Right. Yep. And then you, you were able to help me that. I've never thought about it that way. And when you don't have resources and you don't feel like you have resources, you kind of feel helpless. Um, And your books help kind of solve that. I really like in your book, the crux of your book, you state to find professional, I'm just going to quote this, to find professional and personal fulfillment through starting things. Freedom from obligation is not the goal. Freedom to pursue the things that matter to you is. And I thought that was a brilliant statement because... Uh, I was in the uh, professional and collegiate sports setting for a very long time, and a lot of people I know are exiting right now because they were working on things that, you know, at the beginning, they felt really loyal to the logo on their shirt, right? or whoever was writing, but now they want to start pursuing things that mean something to them and having that freedom to go start something that they have some skin in the game behind. Is that really what entrepreneurship is about is like finding that thing for you that like you, you just get in love, you fall in love with that problem and you just get fulfilled by it.
1: I do. I mean, I do. I think that's what it is. I think it's the, it's the freedom to fall in love and the freedom to pursue the things that matter to you. And, um, the crux of good, um, good entrepreneurship is, is, um, is falling in love with a problem that really matters to you that you see very specifically. Mm -hmm. It's having a really specific thing that you just understand. Um, and you've thought about more than anyone else. And, um, for some people it's like a a really specific technical thing. Um, and for some people it's a really, it's a really big idea it's maybe it's a global idea maybe it's a political idea maybe it's a lived experience Mm -hmm. but the good stuff comes from uh just a, a rumination on something that is of concern to you that you just cannot help but keep thinking about and it's it's in that inability to stop thinking about it that this kind of uh cosmic process of discovery is taking place. You are actually accruing mastery by virtue of the fact that you can't stop thinking about it. You know, those hours spent sort of in contemplation when you're on the road, when you're going for a run, when you're zoning out at your day job and thinking about, man, I I just, I can't get over the fact that we don't have a coffee shop downtown. There's so many pedestrians. It would be, it would do so well. It ought to have outdoor seating. You know and. It's it's in the it's in the imagination of the mind where I think so much of these things take take shape and um and so yeah I think you know it's not I'll say again what it's not it's not an identity pursuit it's not I want to be an entrepreneur that's flawed hmm. um, because that's um, it's not sustainable that's that's an ego pursuit that's an identity thing that usually if you ask people why that is it's like because I hate working for other people hmm. that's a terrible reason. Uh, to That's not a sustainable that reason to become an entrepreneur. That, that won't work. What is a good reason is um, I keep getting uh, pulled into conversations where people really are leaning on me for this expertise I have. That's data. I can't stop thinking about the opportunity to reshape our political environment i can't stop thinking you know this might be yours eric as i listen to all these podcasts i feel like there's just a different angle or a different set of conversations that i'm wanting that i don't see out there Mm -hmm. like those are good sort of origin intent uh, reasons for starting a a business and and the identity piece of like i'm going to be an entrepreneur that's a lagging indicator it's not the starting point the starting point is always a desire to sort of solve a problem you see an opportunity to create something better create something new, create something that would be a value to you personally, and then, and then pursuing that. And I think, you know, um, it's not a destination I've I've talked to uh, enough entrepreneurs who've successfully started and sold companies who are then in a state of, you know, uh, you know, sort of, uh, undiagnosed depression in many instances around, I, I don't know what to do now. And it wasn't about the outcome. It was about the pursuit of the things that mattered to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, the answer, my, my, my counsel for those folks is like, get back into pursuing the things that matter to you um, and find that fulfillment. Again, the goal was never the exit. It was never the financial outcomes. I mean, those are nice. They're, I guess they're, you know, it's, it's better than the alternative, but it's a it's
0: signal not. that what you're doing is working.
1: It's a signal that what you're doing is working and it's, and it's permission to keep going. Right. It's a signal that it is, it is a value because the marketplace is given value is, is determined monetarily. So that's all fulfilling, but um, but the work is, is in doing the things that bring fulfillment, I really believe.
0: You know, something you said in your book, you talk about being in like your internship. And so I know a lot of people are like, "Well, oh, I'm not qualified to do this. And you say, well, the people that succeed have deep domain expertise. Essentially, you've been an intern on the job doing something for a very long time. You want to Can you double click on that? Because I think that's really freeing for a lot of people to have these ideas, but they feel unqualified to go pursue them.
1: Yeah, I think we all all too often, and this is part of the fictional overlay that we've got to just kind of deconstruct where we tell these um, rags to riches stories, or we tell these stories of great personal risk where people like are doing one thing and then they quit and they radically like, you know, they sell their house, they cash in everything. And then they pour it all into something that is totally unrelated, totally unknown And that's sort of like the great American dream slash experiment, right? That we do. Mm -hmm. That's not it. You know, successful entrepreneurs are gaining expertise. They solve problems that they have real proximity to. um, And they are becoming ex. not only are they becoming expert, but they're getting the right networks by virtue of the fact that they're working in proximity to that thing. So, um, you know i I tell the story of of like Adam Newman, for example uh and you know he's a little bit like you know famous notorious infamous uh for having started new work. He had a company before that called crawlers, and I tell the story kind of like lovingly, which is it was a baby clothing company, and there was knee pads on the baby clothing so that the kids' knees wouldn't hurt and of course, if you are raising little humans as I am yeah uh, you know that like your kids don't need knee pads it's like it's a fundamentally like funny thing to even think about designing baby clothes with knee pads. Um,
0: (laughs) They don't cry about it. They just do it.
1: They just do it. And it's like, yeah, like they've been doing it for thousands of years. So it's not (laughs) a problem, but it's funny because here's a guy who's wanting to be an entrepreneur, but doesn't have kids and comes up with an idea that like just simply does not like anyone with a kid would tell you, we don't need this. Now, pivot from that and, and, and into starting a company like WeWork, which, which is where I am right now. And he is someone who had done interior design and build. He was someone who fit the demographic of the kind of demographic he was wanting to serve. He knew because he had great design instincts what, what resonated for him as well as his co-founder. And they latched onto something that like really did specifically meet a need for them, that they had expertise around because they have been doing versions of this for some time. Right. And so, and again, that's a more complicated story. So, you know, not to hold that up. as No, but as it makes sense. Kind of hard, like he
0: wasn't interning in the thing that he could be good at.
1: Right. And then when he did do the, the, when he did pursue a business around the thing around which he had some domain expertise, then it worked. Right. And yeah. so I, I tell people all the time, like to make this real, someone might be working in marketing and they they're frustrated by it. They don't want to do it anymore. They want to open up a restaurant. And I say, like, go work night shifts at a restaurant. Go work back of house. Go work front of house. You know, put yourself into a six-month rotation. Don't quit your job. Don't start the learning journey once you quit. Create your internship now in the context of your life. If you're doing marketing, can you focus your marketing skill set on the food and beverage industry? Can you um, go offer to create a marketing package for a restaurant for free? Can you just go work on nights and weekends at a restaurant? So you're just getting to proximity of that thing that you, you want to be doing. Um, so it's not a cold start, like stop, start. It's more of like a, a, a dual portfolio that moves you closer to the business that you ultimately want to be starting. And we have a lot more opportunities for that. I think it actually strikes people as not as exciting. It's like, well, I kind of just want to quit my job and start the thing but I'm like, that's risky. You know, that's unnecessary. Yeah. Orient your professional life towards the business that you want to be starting. You'll be meeting the right people. You'll be pressure testing the, the validity of it. And you'll be, um, you won't be putting yourself at, at financial risk.
0: Yeah. You're de-risking the situation. Why, what is the number one reason you think that most businesses fail early stage businesses? Oh,
1: great question. Number one is because they put themselves in a financial position where the business doesn't fail, but they run out of time Mm. and they run out of time because they run out of money. So, you know, they give up after six months and maybe the business required 12 months. Um, And the reason they give up after six months is because they can't afford to keep going. And the reason they can't afford to keep going is because they quit their job. Uh, and went all in on something rather than doing the, the harder, less interesting perhaps path, the third shift entrepreneur approach of keep your job and then follow the, the 12 steps. You know, like get your, put yourself into an internship, move closer to the idea, do soft starts, validate all these things, create revenue, do all that before you quit your job. Mm-hmm. And if you take this kind of this third shift approach, you'll never start a business that hasn't already like demonstrated its its success. Mm-hmm. And I tell stories of me having done this in my personal life time and time again, I've never started a business that hasn't already been generating revenue that hasn't already been proven. Nor, by the way, did Bill Gates, nor, by the way, did Sarah Blakely, nor, by the way, you know, did Damon John. So, um, it's not, it's not a ridiculous thought. We just don't talk about it as much.
0: You know, it's funny. You mentioned Damon John, but like, I'm, I love shark tank just cause I love the back and forth. Right. And a lot of times like, so if you quit your job and they're like, no. And they're like, oh, you're not all in. But then right. there was a st- statistic in your book. I think it was 30 something percent of people that, uh, go all in. I can't remember like the 30% success rate. Was that it? Of people that go all
1: in. People that quit their, people that keep their jobs are 40% more successful. There it is. a business.
0: Yeah. We're going to take a break for just a moment to talk about how you can get exclusive content designed for high performers just like you. If you're looking for information and resources to improve your health, well-being, and performance, then sign up for my free newsletter adaptation. Just go to www.ericcorum.com and sign up now. When you sign up, I'll send you my ultimate sleep cheat sheet, my guide on how to get a great night of sleep. This newsletter is my effort to bring zero cost, high performance resources and tools to anyone with the desire to improve. Now, back to the show. So, like, you're better off, like, demonstrating proof of concept. And slowly building at a pace that you can handle. And I guess when the revenue matches or when you're like, okay, we have a strong enough signal, we've hit product market fit or something. Now we know and we go. Um, yeah. But that's not what's really preached in society. It's just like, hey, you have this passion, you should go all in on it. And then, then it ends up, you may have had a phenomenal idea. It just took a while. Like Slack is a great example. You know, they anybody knows Slack, it's a great communication tool that came out of a failed video game company. Yeah. And the doors are closing literally. And there's like three employees left and like, Hey, you know, we had this communication thing that was really good. Billion dollar company. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's (laughs) like, you know, they just, that just wasn't, but they needed time. And that because they had some capital left, they could run with it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And sometimes like, look, if the money is from other people and if you're venture back, it's a little bit of a different story, but I think if you're Regular folk, right. Who have kids and have to pay rent and can't afford to quit. Um, there are ways to slow step into your bigger vision, and the key is this like incrementalism. I really, I really believe in that, um, and I've I've seen it time and again. It's funny because when you meet entrepreneurs that have approached building their thing that way, they almost like whisper to you that that's how they did it because they think that they for some reason violated some sort of you know rule book from on high about how this is supposed to go but that's in fact how most people do it and i tell stories in the book about how you would launch a catering business how you would launch a technology company how you would launch a professional services business how you would launch a nonprofit, how you would launch you know uh, any a media company um and there is applicability and real world stories associated with all kinds of businesses uh, for whom that was you know, the case.
0: My mom, um, who actually came on my podcast, uh, you said catering company. She started 30 something years ago making brownies for a hamburger shop. And then it was like, then a friend was like, hey, you should do a party. And then it was the next thing. And now she owns a huge catering and food manufacturing company. But it was a slow slow process you know what i'm saying like she didn't have any culinary training it was just like i'm gonna do this and it worked out and then i'm gonna add this and i'm gonna add this and slowly it got better and now it's you know successful but it wasn't like one day she's like i'm gonna go out and do parties for 500 people no it doesn't work like that you got to start no. small you got to test it
1: i love that story eric by your mom um because that is so often the advice I give people, uh, which is like, you know, let's use it as a metaphor. I want to, it's like, I want to become an entrepreneur. I'm like, what kind of business? Catering. I'm like, make brownies and make sure that those brownies are damn good. Cause if they're not, who cares? That's right. (laughs) So it's like, make a great brownie. And do you know how much money that costs? Like $3 and 20 cents. So make a great brownie, go to a coffee shop. That's got, not great brownies and be like, I've got better brownies than yours and I'll supply it every week. And, you know, heck you can keep the money. Uh, like I- I'll just give them to you. Right. For a few weeks. What's that cost me? Nothing. What 50 bucks for a month, a couple months. Um, and what that validates is like, now I, now I'm able to, now I can pop up a label and be like Todd's brownies. I've got a business. Yeah. We supply the brownies over at intelligentsia. Like no one else has to know the inner machinations of the fact that like, I'm not getting paid. I'm just giving them to them, but I'm getting that feedback of like, Hey, we love your brownies. And Mm. I think people get too in their heads about the end state vision and they just miss the small and simple and obvious things in front of them that can help them really move forward. And like, How, How did you get to
0: this? How did you get all this insight? What's your story?
1: Well, oh man! <laughs> um, I mean, the short answer is you know well because we started Bunker Labs and yeah. we help military veterans start businesses, and the kinds of businesses that people are starting are, you know, a lot of times it's the really basic stuff. It's like I want to launch an HVAC business. I'm like, great, go go repair stuff in your own house, make a video, put it on LinkedIn, put it on YouTube. And then other people were like, Hey man, I saw that you fixed all that stuff. Can you come fix my stuff? I mean, it's literally that simple, but it was from observing uh, and meeting literally thousands of entrepreneurs over the course of the last seven years and seeing this play out time and time again. It's, it's true of my own life for leadership development business I launched for uh, a wedding venue that, that we own for bunker labs, which is a not-for-profit So I've done like hospitality, I've done professional services, I've done not-for-profit, and you always lead with like solving the problem on a really small scale, um, making sure that the solution, like no kidding works. Like, hey, you actually helped me start a business. Like, I'm not gonna go raise money for a nonprofit until I really know I can get a military veteran in a room and help them start a business. Mm. Well, when you've done that five or 10 times, then, then you bring in a funder, you're like, hey, why don't you come pay for this? Listen to these 10 people. And they're all like, "Hey, he really helped me start my business." I'm like, "Cool." And then the funders like, "All right, yeah, this really works." Like, here's some money, you know. So it's um, it was observing this in my own life, and then observing it in others, and just trying to write a book that to me felt like radical common sense, um, but then trying to package it in a way that didn't seem mystical but felt actually repeatable. Like your mom's story, I'm sure, because this is how all entrepreneurs, particularly the humble ones, they tell it. It all seems like a a grand surprise and they were just following one thing after another. And then they, they will tell the story as, as it has like lots of happenstance and luck. And I, as you hear all these stories and everyone's like, I got lucky and then you'll never believe it. And then this one crazy thing happened when everyone's stories contain that you begin to see patterns and you're like, no, 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 this isn't crazy at all. Like that's actually always how this unfolds. Not exactly like that, but always when you start making brownies and you move them to more people and they're really, really good. Someone always mentions it to someone else and that creates an unlikely opportunity. And then like, it just, there's a podcast.
0: You were listening to Shane Parrish's podcast, the knowledge project. Anyways, he talks to really smart people and a lot of these people are like the best in the world at whatever, really good podcast. And he always asked them the same question. How much do you think a can change? And almost all of them were like, yeah, I was like, I'm like, no, you weren't <laughs> like you had a skill. You worked really, really hard. You tested it. You refined it. You, you know what I'm saying? You put it out there and you got better and you got better and you got better. And like you said, like the situations create themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And so like luck would be like, I'm walking down the street and a sack of gold drops into my lap. That's luck, right? Or I flip a coin. This is like hard work that has a um, process behind it. I'm sorry. I just like, I'm glad that you say that because now there are certain things where people are born into situations where they have privilege or money. You see what I'm saying? And like certain avenues are just easily accessible to them. But then you have people that aren't, that didn't grow up in those situations and they put in the time and the effort. And they kept working and they kept working and then things perpetuated. Um, where do you you, like uh, something that just came to my mind as I was preparing for this is like the word courage kept coming up in my mind. Can you talk about that for a minute? Like, you've worked with people in a lot of different domains that showed a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that comes from?
1: First, let's talk about what courage is. Um, it is the uh, most often I see it, I witness it as. Um, is the reputational fear of rejection and of loneliness. So um, certain things like speaking to a large audience aren't necessarily courageous. It depends on what's at stake for you. And even, even experiences like combat, which obviously we work in the military community, combat may or may not for certain people trigger like a need for courage because you're with a team you belong, there's a shared mission, there's, there's risk um, and there's, there's bravery, but there may not be sort of courage in the same way that I think about it. And so courage to me is, a, is, is the risk that I will be reputationally isolated for doing something. So it's people that stand up within a group to which they belong and give a contrary answer that, that risks isolation. Mm. Like you are now rejected. That's courage. That to me takes real courage. And, um, and we're not, we don't see a lot of that in our society. And so courage in entrepreneurship is a willingness to put something out there to say, look, this matters to me. I, I care about this. I created this and it is subject to your judgment. Mm. And that's a step that most people will fight hard to avoid. They will like, let's go back to the catering business. They will go work on branding. They will go out and raise money. They will sign leases. They will, they will do everything other than walk around with a tray of brownies and walk into a room and be like, honestly, what do you think? You know, And say, like, these are the best brownies I, could, I, could, I know how to make. Are they good enough? And yeah. people are like, you know what? They're actually not that great. It's like, that's courage. And so it's the reputational stakes of posting on LinkedIn, hey, I'm doing this. Hey, I'm offering this. It's the, um, it's the reputational stakes of saying, um, hey, I think this matters. Or hey, I think we're wrong. Or hey, I think there's a better way to do this. Um, artists implicitly understand this cycle much better than the non-artists. They understand that you have to create art it has to matter to you. And then it is subject to public opinion. And that's, that to me is the entrepreneurship cycle. It's like, I create the thing. I believe in it. I think it has value. And then I present it to you for your judgment. And you may or may not like it. Um, and that's it. And, you know, But trying to, trying to skip that step, avoid the confrontation with our own courage. I don't think you can get things out the door.
0: That is a great take on it. I mean, I've never heard it articulated that way. When I started my company, AIM7, the first person that put money in was Mark Hadar, who's a friend of ours. Mm-hmm. And Mark was like, This is all great, Eric. He's like, Wait till you put the product out there and somebody tells you your baby's ugly. Yeah. And it takes some thick skin, but also it takes uh, the willingness to listen because you may be, you know, an inch away you may just need a little bit more sugar or a little bit less salt. And then you hit, you know, you know, it's funny going back to my mom. You're going to have to listen to this podcast now, but I will. two of her, the two biggest products she sells, she's in a uh, central market is a huge H E B is the largest grocery store chain in Texas. And they have these uh, big stores called central markets. And she has like 15 plus products in there. Awesome. And, um, the two things that are her number one bestseller or number one and two bestsellers are products that she was terrible things she couldn't make for herself, a chocolate chip cookie and chicken salad. And she just kept on it and kept at it and kept at it. And now she sells like, I can't tell you how many tons of this stuff, but it was like, you got to put it out there Mm -hmm. and then you have to be willing to listen. How do you train people to listen?
1: That's a great question. If you ask me, what's the biggest, um, uh attribute of successful entrepreneurs to to build on what you just said eric people think is it risk-taking is it ingenuity is it genius is it innovation no it's it's empathy it's humility it's it's empathy it's curiosity which to me is another form of empathy it's it's um keeping everything that you're thinking about about the users that you're trying to serve and if you if you stay focused on that, then you are curious about what they think. You're hoping it's good enough. If it's not good enough, then you want to make it better. Um, if you are self focused, you, you think it's just about sales, um, and that like you've got to just keep trying and keep trying and keep hitting them over the head. Maybe they don't want it, you know. So I think it's empathy. I think if you ask me like what makes for great um, entrepreneurship, I think it's a fundamental. And it shows up differently for other people. It's not necessarily like the soft, feely empathy that I try to carry and that I'm attracted to for myself. It might be like an intellectual empathy of like, I really wonder how people think about using this. Like a curiosity to, hey, I want to go in a back room and set up a camera and watch people eat this stuff and just see if they even like it. Where do they start with? You know, they start with chicken salad. Then they go to the brownie. Do they like the brownie? Do they eat the whole thing? You know, (laughs) so it's that level of curiosity that um, that I think uh, you've got to you've got to kind of put yourself secondary to the people you're trying to serve. And so, whether that's humility or we want to call it empathy or curiosity about others, I think that's really important. And that, again, Eric is so contrary to what popular culture has told us is successful entrepreneurship. We're told that it's bravado. It's like sales. Oh, I'm
0: thinking of somebody that's on social media flying their plane and their helicopter and they're pulling up in a Lambo and you're like, no, I don't want to have anything no. to do with that. And maybe that's another reason why people are like, I don't want to have anything to do with that garbage. Rather than yeah, like, it's hard to find I relatable.
1: It's like, I don't get it. And it's people that we're not sure what their, what their business is selling us on buying from them to end up looking like that. But that's like a really strange and weird business that most <laughs> of us aren't in, you know? Um, so I think the good stuff is like a craftsman mentality around. I really love, I think about Tito's vodka, you know, Tito beverage, um, his real name last name is beverage, just, you know, Austin got like really interested in the craft, really like interested in like how users are engaging with it. And then like, you know, like the growth is like a demand. It's people wanting more of what it's like, your mom putting a couple of products in. One store, and people have been like, I love these products. Does she have more? What else can she do? You know, the store like appreciating her business response. That's when you got
0: product market fit, like you just
1: can't. Yeah, it's the it's the pull. I think we sometimes think entrepreneurship is just a push, like you just got to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. No, at some point there's a pull. The market's like, Hey, we want more of what you're offering. Our job is to bring it to fruition enough that the market can see it and then pull, you know, for more. Um, but it's that push-pull. And I think entrepreneurs. The self-centered ones think it's all about push. It's all about them. It's like, I'm the brand. I'm telling the story. And I think the, the thoughtful entrepreneurs are a little bit quieter. They're, they're more contemplative. They're, they're actually more focused on how other people are engaged with whatever it is that they've offered. Uh, and they, and cra- they want to get better at it because they love doing it as mm-hmm. well. You know, they're, They love the thing, the, the content of whatever it is that they're doing as well.
0: So we have courage, empathy, humility. What other qualities do great entrepreneurs have?
1: You know, I think this is one that I observe a lot in the military community that I will elevate. And that is just um, professionalism. Uh, This is going to sound old fashioned, but um, that's fine. You know, and professionalism along with like management. I think we often think of uh, startup teams as being, um, you know, the good companies that make it. they're They're really well run they have leaders that are coherent humans. They don't show up to meetings three hours late. They don't, they're not idiosyncratic. They, you know, they show up on time. They do what they say they're going to do. They respond to email. Uh, I mean, I think they just honor the basic norms of like decent management. And I'm amazed at how many people are just in violation of those basic norms. Like they don't, Respond to email. They don't, and I get that some people, you know, not everyone has the capacity to do it all the time. But like to their employees and direct reports that like they don't know how to show up to a meeting on time. They aren't professional. They always derail things. They, so I just think that like a professionalism of, I'm polite. I do what I say I'm going to do. I show up on time. Um, we stay focused on what we're doing. We have a management system internally to get things done. Um, we're clear on who makes decisions. I just think that stuff is way underweighted when it comes to startups, but the good startups have strong manage, like management professionalism cultures.
0: The reason I, you know, this is a podcast about high performance and the reason I wanted to have you on is because, you know, right now we're in the middle of what many are calling the great resignation. Mm -hmm. Um, I quit my job during 2020. It's for other reasons. I was working on something before the pandemic, but a lot of people are still, quitting their jobs and they're trying things. And to be an entrepreneur, to be successful, you have to be a high performer. What does high performance mean to you?
1: High performance, uh, for me, I think it looks like a self-awareness of the thing that you're good at. Um, like a mission orientation, like the thing that you care about. um. And then a discipline to like uh, get working on the thing that matters. Mm. So um, I think it's those three things. It's like, I know what I care about. Let's reverse the sequence. I know deeply what I care about. Um, I, I know what I am good at and I get to work and, and I go do go take action to sort of address the thing that I care about in a way that I know I'm good at. Mm. Um, And that, you know, that combination requires some self-awareness, but I think it's those, it's those things.
0: That's broadly translatable.
1: Yeah. I hope. um, I think for myself where I flame out, it's because one of those three things is missing. Mm. I either don't really care. And so the sustainability is not there. I, I, I can't, you know, i 'm going to struggle to put eighty hours a week into something or forty hours a week or ten hours a week into something i don 't really care about, so I have to really care um, I have to be good at how I show up for that work, so i 've got to have like skill alignment um and then i've got to work i got to do the work so if i 'm lazy like it doesn't matter mm. um, but if I work hard but i 'm not good at it, that also doesn't help um, So I've got to kind of figure out the alchemy of those things. And I think to make those three things work, sometimes you need a partner. I've often had co-founders and partners that I pull in because I realize, hey, I care a lot about this. I'll be really good at this one piece. But unless we have a person that can do this other piece, we're going to like, we won't, I won't succeed. So I need a team in this case. And other things I can go out and be a lone wolf. Like if those three things are there. But that passion, knowing how you show up to be and, and are good, and then I think the willingness to do the work um which again requires a discipline um I think that's how you can succeed. I think that's what high performance is for me. I think the people that I see as being high performing um I think are doing those things i think they're I think they're working hard, I think they care about what they're doing yeah, I, I might disagree with them, but I think they they're doing it in such a way that they're they're good they bring their, their capability set to, to, to bear.
0: I love it. I think that's great. So what habits or practices have you adopted to help you consistently be at your best?
1: I have to discover, if we go back to that triad, there's a lot of things I care about. So, and if, I think it's like the heart tells you what you care about. The hands are like the working hard piece. And then I think your head is the strategic piece of saying, you know... In, like am I the right person to kind of show up and, in, and impact this thing you know just because I care about it and I'm willing to work hard like I might really care about an app and I want to work really hard but I've never built an app so I'm not I don't have the skill set around that so caring is not enough and working hard is not enough you've got to, the strategic part is putting the pieces together to read the tea leaves to be like given who I am given my, my talents here's how I can be most effective and so I think it's that it's that strategy piece that is the harder one for me to put together for myself, where I can know, like, I'm really passionate. Like I'll tell you right now, Eric, I'm really passionate about about political reform. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm heart sick over the state of the country polarization. It's super toxic. I think, I think America's in a bad place. I don't think it's cyclical. I think it's downward. I think we've got to take action. There's got to be interventions to help remedy the, the current situation. So that's my passion. I wake up and it's on my heart morning, day, and night. And it has been for years um, since about 2014. My hands are like, I'm willing to go to work. Like I will go knock doors. I will phone bank. I will give money. I, I will do stuff early in the morning. I'll do stuff late at night. I will put the time in, the, the energy, the hustle. I, I do that. Then the question, the head part is like, well, how do I, how, how can I, Give highest and best use of who I am, including my skills, to affect this? Should I run for office? Should I write op eds? Should I knock on doors? Should I, you know, um, should, I, should I do innovation from outside the system? And so I think it's that piece. And then, and then I think part of how you answer that piece, because that's the harder one to figure out, is what's the market telling me? Mm. What are people inviting me into? Where am, I, where am I being asked for help? Where am, I, where am I being asked for perspective? What on social media are people like engaging with, you know? Um, and that I think gives you some data on, on how to show up. So to me, being a, your question is like, how do I be a high performance leader? I try to journal and pay attention to my own self. And then like, what are the, mar- what's the market telling me about where I'm needed? And by the way, sometimes the market is telling you that it needs you to do something that is not what your ego is telling you that you want. Mm. And I think you got to listen to that. So part of being a high performance leader is honoring what people need from you. Not just what you want to be doing. That's yes. servant leadership because, because we don't, we don't, uh, we don't all need to be president of the United States to fix what's wrong with America. We don't all need to be, you know, um, famous athletes to address, you know, social change. We don't all have to be, um,
0: you can be a good neighbor.
1: You can be a good neighbor. You know, Martin Luther King organized Selma, but a lot of people marched, and we needed everyone marching, just as we needed the organizers to organize. And so, um, we all have a role to play. But it, but I think the humility piece is like accept the role that's given, and uh, and do your duty as you understand it. That's me sort of elements of stoicism. But we can all be we all have a role to play. But we got to listen. It may not it might it might it might not be what our ego has told us is the role that we're we're here to play.
0: This is some strong stuff, Todd. You're bringing it, man. <laughs> um how can Hell people care. No, this is, you know, I I really appreciate you because you you're doing a lot of things, you know, Bunker Labs, you know, you've been I just see where your heart's at. And uh I really appreciate that. And then this book here, Third Shift Entrepreneur, like I think it's a it's a playbook if you have an idea there's something that's in your heart that you feel like you're talented at. Like this is a very simple, I say simple and that's, that's good. That's a compliment. Complex is not good. This is very simple. Um, simple. You can open this up and you can go, Oh, I can do that. And, and you can have a very good sense of this is something. So I highly recommend if you got an idea, something that's tugging at your heart right now, that you should pick this up. It's called third shift entrepreneur. You can get on Amazon. That's where I got it. Is there a better place to get it?
1: No, that's great. How can people? A, a better place would be a local bookstore, but they won't have it. So okay. Have it.
0: <laughs> so you need to go beg your local bookstore. Hey, go go get this so I can buy it from you. Yeah. Um, where can people find and support you?
1: Um, Eric, first of all, thank you. Yeah. You're, you're a, you you do a fantastic interview. This is um. There's something here. Keep going. <laughs> I appreciate um, that. You're doing a fantastic job. Um, and even though you quit your job, which is contrary to my advice, I'm glad that you're doing it. Um, yeah, go to thirdshiftentrepreneur.com. And um, there's, I do a bunch of interviews with entrepreneurs. I just ask them, like, what do you wish you'd learned sooner? Um, what should we all know um, based on their own real experience? And uh, I just encourage folks, you know, if you have something that is tugging at your heartstrings, if you're a place of unfulfillment with your work, your work matters. It's your identity. It's your contribution to the world. And you deserve to do work that matters to you. And what I want to help people do is move beyond this paradigm of I'm stuck towards a paradigm of I can take action today. I can I can take action today. And it doesn't have to look like quitting my job and putting my family at risk. It can look small. It can look specific. It can look incremental. That's the good stuff. And so if I can be a service to anyone, go to thirdshiftentrepreneur.com. Find me on LinkedIn. Uh, find me uh, uh, through the website. And um, and I just encourage people, you know, look, it's never been a harder time and, and therefore maybe a better time to think about pursuing what matters to you. And uh, don't get hung up on business models. Don't get hung up on end states. Don't let your ego get in the way. Just go out and be a service. And uh, there's something there.
0: This was beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today. I will make sure if you subscribe to my newsletter, there will be a link in there to purchase the book and a link for his website thirdshiftentrepreneur.com. Please go check it out. Todd, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Eric. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I recommend that you check out episode number 49 with Mark Hadar. Mark talks about how he immigrated to the US from Lebanon and overcame enormous obstacles to co-found two thriving technology companies. If you are someone that is betting on yourself, then this is a great podcast for you. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.